Welcome back to our series on the book of Philippians. Now, by now we all know that Philippians was written uh, to a bunch of people, a lot of whom were foreigners and had served in the Roman legions and as a result were given citizenship into the Roman Empire. And because they have citizenship, they have lands and they have rights of the Roman Empire. And so Paul writes to the church in uh, Philippi and he says these words, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Another way of putting that is to conduct yourself as a citizen, not of Rome, but a citizen of the gospel, a citizen of heaven. Conduct yourself that way. And don't just do it alone. He goes on, stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Gather your friends, lock your shields, raise your javelins, and stand firm with them so that neither of you, either of you fall, and you stand firm with God till the end. And there's many ways of standing firm, many ways of conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. If you cast your minds back for about a month, you will remember that the first way after this passage was to be humble, to look out for other people's interests, not just our own. And of course, we can do this because we are so rich, we are so loved, we can afford to love other people. But also we have the example of Jesus who came from heaven to earth and humbled himself to serve you and I. And so how dare we not also humble ourselves to serve other people? Well, another way, though, to um, conduct themselves in a manner worthy of gospel was to actually shine like stars. And do you remember how they were to do this? Uh, were they told a massive evangelistic rally of 10,000 people in Chatswood, or they're supposed to um, become prime minister and, and say, I'm a Christian? Um, yeah, you can do that. Nothing wrong with that. But for this particular passage, they were to shine like stars by not arguing among themselves and not grumbling against God. Because they and we have a God who says, never will I forsake you, never will I leave you. And when they grumble against God, they're actually saying, God, you don't love me, or God, you haven't got the power to look after me, or God, you're just plain out lying. And they can't possibly say it to God. So no grumbling, shine like stars. And be like guys like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, as they just got on with the job of bringing Christ's love to the world around them. Well, that was how to be like somebody who conducts himself in a manner worthy of the gospel. But the last week, and also this week, we're going to see how Paul describes someone who's um, acting in a manner unworthy of the gospel, conduct unbecoming uh, a citizen of of heaven. And last week we saw with Stu that there's a bunch of guys who were legalized, Judaizers, who were legalists, who thought that, you know what, they get close to God by just being really religious and following Jewish laws. And so they would, they, would, um, they would follow the food laws and, and other laws and so think because they did that, then they'd be close to God. Today, it might be that we've been Sydney evangelicals for a long, long time, or we know the little quirks of the Anglican church or, or St. Andrews, and so therefore we must be close to God. And Paul said to those guys, you know what, if you think your religious resume is important, is impressive, mine is even more impressive. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Pharisee. And not only that, I went after Christians who, went after, who were against God. And he says, you know, for all my religious excellence and my religious resume, I find it worth nothing. Like rubbish. I consider it rubbish because it was the wrong game to play. You can't get into heaven that way. He said the actual way to get into heaven is actually to trust in the forgiveness of Jesus and the grace of God. Trust in that. That's the way into heaven. Not legalism, not Judaism. Well, tonight we see the flip side of this because there's a bunch of guys who were legalists, but there's also another bunch of guys, the, and they were actually. 
They were actually the party animals. You see, while these guys said, oh, you know, I have to obey all the laws, and I'm going to look down on anyone who doesn't obey the laws, these guys said, you know what? Jesus died for me, my sins are forgiven, and so now I can just live my own way. And so they're called antinomians. They actually they don't care about the law. They're against the law. And Paul says, well, that was not conduct unbecoming, and this is conduct unbecoming as well. And he shows us this by looking at three main areas. Firstly, he encourages us to follow good models. Secondly, he shows us a picture of two citizens. And lastly and shortly, he encourages them to stand in the grace of God. So let's look at, first of all, the model. You'll find that in verses 17 through to 18. And it says this, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you've had us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Well, Paul says, follow my example. And the guys like me, Timothy, Epaphroditus, the men and the women of his team, and what were they like? Well, cast your minds back about a month. These guys, Paul was running around the countryside sharing the gospel of Jesus with people. And then they threw him in jail for it. That's what he do. He shared the gospel with the people in jail. And then people outside jail started sharing the gospel, a good gospel, a clean gospel, but started to malign Paul. And he said, I don't care, as long as the gospel is going out, who cares what my reputation is like? We saw Timothy and Epaphroditus a couple of weeks ago. They were serving the Philippian church, and Epaphroditus got sick and almost died for the Philippian church. But they didn't care. They just got up and just kept going. Those guys are focused on bringing the love of Jesus to the world and bringing the love of Jesus inside their own church. And Paul says, follow examples like that. Now, it was true in their circumstance, but it's also true in our circumstance as well. Because in this congregation and in Cross St. Andrews, we also have a variety of different people with different gifts. And, and God's blessed us that way. So, for instance, we have our music team up here, and they're very good. They're talented with music, and so we say to them, lead us in song every Sunday. And there's some, but there's some of us in this room who, let's just be honest, uh, they're, they're tone deaf. And so if you're tone deaf, well, we say to you, well, why don't you do sound desk? Well, not, not, not a kind of <laughs> I'm sure they're very talented as well. But, you know, but, the, but the sound tech desk people might not be, and tonight one of them is, very talented in music. Uh, maybe two. Um, but then maybe the musicians up here have no idea what those knobs do, right? Everyone has a different gift. No one's better than the other. They just have different ways to serve God together. And so it's like that. Um, the welcoming guys. You know, some guys, you come into church and they welcome you and you feel like the center of the whole universe. But then they, they're really bad at administration, perhaps. You know? if, they were, if they were organizing a weekend away, we might end up in five sites, but on the other hand, if you've got those administration guys to do welcoming, then they probably put your name on Excel on their phone and then just leave you alone. Everyone has different gifts. And so too, some of us in this room have walked with God longer and a little bit closer, more mature in our Christian faith than others in this room. No better, no worse than everyone else, just something that God's blessed us with in this community. And Paul says to those guys, don't ignore them, don't pretend we're all equal, but rather follow their examples. Now, they can be a little bit more mature than us for a variety of reasons. It could just be because they've been Christians for longer. It doesn't always equate that way, but they've just been walking with God, they've made more mistakes, and they've actually just learned more about God, and they're clinging closer to Him. Or it could be that they've had some sort of tragedy in their life that's just forced them to depend on God and make God more real to them in a way that perhaps the rest of us haven't experienced. And so we hold on to God a little less tightly than they do. But for whatever reason, God has blessed us with these people. And we can actually seek their counsel, and we can actually look at their lives 
and learn from them. Uh, it could be in many areas. It could be in an area of, of how faith uh, and in, in church and also outside church works. It could be how to balance our life, how to be a good member of church, how to be a good member of our working, uh, working profession, and how to be a good parent or grandparent, uh, how to balance all that together. Uh, it could be in areas uh, of when we go through some hardships, how have they done it? And no doubt they would say to us, you know what, I didn't get it perfectly right, but here's some mistakes I made so that you don't have to make the same mistakes as I did. We, should, we need to observe these people and learn from them, like Paul encourages Philippians to do. But on the flip side, of course, all of us in this room are probably one or two steps ahead of some other people in this room. And so the call for us then is also to be very mindful of what kind of example, what kind of model we set for others. What things excite us? What things don't we care about? How do we spend our money and our energies and our time? How willing are we to pick up to our comforts? And as people observe us doing that, living life that way, by the grace of God, they'll be encouraged as well to follow our example as we follow Christ's example. That's true inside the church, but it's also extremely true also inside the home, isn't it? Uh, how do your grandkids and how do your kids see the way that you live? Is it consistent with what they hear you talk about on a Sunday? How are you modeling Christ to your own family, but also the congregation here at St. Andrews? And we need those examples, don't we? Because a Christian walk is a hard one. Because for all those Pauls and Epaphroditus and Timothys in the world, there's another group. And this group is called the enemies of the cross. Now, it'd be nice for us to think, well, yes, it's those people out there who don't know Jesus. And yes, sure, Paul does and God does grieve for the fact that there are lost sheep out there. And then we need to do our best to bring them the love of Jesus. But in this case... Paul is talking about a group of people inside the church who are the enemies of the cross. And these guys are not the legalists from last week. They're inside the church as well. But this week, these are the partygoers. These are the party animals inside the church. The libertines, the ones who don't think they need to follow the law. And he doesn't call them silly Christians. He doesn't call them lazy Christians. He calls them enemies of the cross. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? But if you think about what these guys are actually saying, it makes sense. You see, Jesus came from heaven to earth, died on the cross to forgive their sins, and now says, I'm going to be your saviour, absolutely. But I'm going to claim, I'm going to be your Lord as well. And I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And I want you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And these guys are saying, forget it, Jesus. We'll take the Savior bit and everything else, don't worry about it. If you treat Jesus this way, you aren't a silly Christian, you aren't a lazy Christian. Paul would call you an enemy of the cross who's trodden Jesus underfoot. So don't follow their example, but rather follow the example of people like Paul and his team. And be an example of those two others as well. Well, he goes on, and he describes two types of citizens, and he does this in verses 19 through to 21. Come with me to 19. Their, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his 
glorious body. Well, the first citizen he describes is citizen A, and this is the party animal, right? They think they are going to heaven because they are at church, because they claim the name of Jesus. But their destiny isn't heaven, their destiny is destruction. Now, why is that? Well, it's because Jesus isn't their God. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. See, they don't worship Jesus, they worship themselves, they worship other things. Like, and back in the first century, it would have been things like uh, going after the desires of their hearts, going to temple prostitutes, or worshipping idols in the, in the local, um, uh, local, uh, local, not synagogue, local um, temple. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and today it might be, you know, that we are drug runners or pimps or, or management consultants. Um, <laughs> those kind of despicable people, uh, it could be that, right? Going after the, the, lust, the, the desires of your heart. But it could, just in case you don't know, I was a management consultant. Right? No. Um, but it could also be just the guys who just love their own life. Um, they're just chasing the Philippian dream, the Australian dream, the North Shore dream. Yeah, they could just want their kids to grow up happy and well-educated. They just want uh, to have a nice house, a nice car, uh, have a good retirement, have good holidays. Uh, it could just be that. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But when they are the things that define us and they're the things that we worship, they become our gods. And we get God to help give us those things. That's a sure telltale sign. We make God serve us by giving us those things rather than receiving those things as blessings from God and thanking God and using those things to honour God. There's a big difference. One, we have Jesus as Lord, Jesus as God, and the other, we have this North Shore dream as God. Those people, the God of their stomachs. And at the end of their life, their glory will turn out to be their shame, that they've spent all their life, all their energies building this thing and not serving and worshipping God. It'll be their shame. It'll be evidence of how they've spent their life. Now, last holidays, um, my, I found uh, my, my kids were, were working really hard. Two of my older kids were just working really hard in a, in a, in a side room, and they're usually making quite a racket. Uh, but this particular day, they weren't. And I was quite surprised. There's, there's an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, the older ones. And we're thinking, well, this is great. Wow, this is so good being a parent. These guys are fantastic. Uh, and so we're having a good time. And then when we went to bed, I thought, okay, I just saw two origami frogs on my bedside table. Oh, that's kind of nice. You know, they made me a present. How nice. And I looked at Anne's bedside table, and there was two origami frogs on her table as well. I thought, oh, that's so nice. They made us both frogs. And then I walked to my pajamas, and I saw there were frogs on my pajamas as well. I took my top off, and I looked at frogs underneath the top, and then so I put my pants. And I went to bed, and I went, stuck my foot in the bed, and oh, there's rustling of paper. I looked, flipped up, oh, there's frogs in my paper, uh, frogs in my bed. And as I lay my head down, there's crunching sounds. Oh, there's actually frogs uh, on my pillow, and also underneath my pillow. Uh, these guys had just spent their whole afternoon making frogs to pull a prank on myself and Anne. <laughs> you see, we thought it was so glorious for them to be so diligent during the afternoon playing with each other and doing something constructive with their life, but nighttime proved that their glory was to their shame. <laughs> they were actually just about to make a, a prank on us, and in the morning, their destiny was destruction. <laughs> now, 
this is just little kids playing around, no big deal. Um, there's a pastor, an American pastor called John Piper, and uh, in his sermon, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, he gives a more directed uh, example. And let me encourage you to buy this book, and if you can't, at least download the sermon on the web. It's, it's quite a powerful sermon. And in this sermon, he actually says, you know what, all of us as Christians should be making an impact on the world. God's given us this fantastic gift of the gospel. God's given us gifts and talents of all sorts. We should be making an impact on the world, making a difference in where we live. But he says, but I know that not everyone in the crowd wants your life to make a difference. There are hundreds of you. You don't care whether you make a lasting difference for something great. You just want people to like you. If people would just like you, you'd be satisfied. Or if you could just have a good job with a good wife and a couple of good kids and a nice car and long weekends and a few good friends, a fun retirement and a quick and easy death and no hell, if you could have that minus God, you'd be satisfied. And that is a tragedy in the making. He goes on. I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I'll read to you from Reader's Digest, February 2000, what a tragedy is. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. The American dream, come to the end of your life. Your one and only life. And let the last great work before you have to give an account to your creator be, I collected shells. See my shells, Lord. Aren't they great? That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. Don't waste your life. It is so short. It is so precious. See, the people whose stomach is their God spend their whole life collecting shells. And when they meet their maker, what are they going to say to him? Here are my shells. Here's my golf swing. Do you like it? Here's my car. Here's my house. Here's my resume. Is God going to be impressed by that? God's given us his son. God's given us health and life and safety and and talents and time and relationships, what are we going to present to God on the final day? These guys, glory, will turn out to be their shame. What will yours and I, mine be? Now, why do they do this? Well, it's because all they can see is the earthly. Their eyes are set on earthly things. Don't be like the party animals. Don't be like citizen A. But rather, be like citizen B. Their eyes aren't just fixed on the earthly, their eyes are fixed in heaven because they are citizens of heaven and they know that they're going to go there. Their God is in their stomach, but their God is Jesus and they're eagerly awaiting for Jesus to come back from there to save them from this world. Their citizenship is in another country and they know they're not going to stay here long, so they're gearing up their life to bring people along to this new destination with them. Uh, I used to live in Boston for a while, a few years, studying and working. And when I went there, I did not buy a sofa. I did not buy a massive dining table. Uh, There was one point where me and my roommate decided that we needed to buy a TV. Of course, TV is important. We need one of those. And so we bought a TV, and we brought it home, 
and we took it out of its box and we put the phone back into it and closed the box up so that it could be structurally secure and put the TV on, or threw a towel on top of that and put a TV on top of that. That was going to be our TV table because we're not going to spend money on a TV table. We're going to be here for a few years. And so it doesn't make sense. Our citizenship was somewhere else in the world and we were gearing up for that. We spent our time on relationships. We spent our time on experiences. We didn't need this stuff. And so too with Christians. We are awaiting for heaven where our citizenship is and so we spend this life not accumulating stuff, but building the kingdom of God who we can take with us, encouraging each other so that we can all be there together, so we can stand firm as one. We're going to build that so we can bring them along to heaven with us. And on that day when it comes, unlike citizen A, destruction won't be our destiny, but rather transformation this body, the stuff we have, is all going to rot away one day. But Jesus will come, fix our bodies, make them perfect to go to heaven. Paul's encouragement to, what? to them and God's encouragement to us is don't live like citizen A, live like citizen B. Cast your minds on eternal things. Prepare for your trip there for eternity. And live in this life, preparing for the next. Well, he finally wraps it all up in chapter 4, verse 1, with an encouragement to stand. So come with me, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you who I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Can you see what Paul is saying? He actually loves his church mates. He comes to church, he, and on a Sunday afternoon, he, he's waiting for next Sunday already. He's waiting for a small group already. He's longing for them. What makes him happy what make, when he wakes up in the morning, what gives him joy is to know that they are Christians and they're, they're on this mission together with him, bringing Christ to the world. And when he gets to heaven, what's he going to show God? Is it his religious resume? It's in tatters on the floor. Is it his, are his shell collection from traveling around? No. The resume he's going to give God when he gets to heaven are the Philippian church and Christians like them and like us. That is his crown. That is his glory. And I wonder if that's us as well. Do we love the guys in this room, in this church? Do we long to see them? after In about an hour of times when you go home, do you long for Wednesday night small group or next Sunday when you come back? Um, are, you, do you, are you filled with joy when you think of each other? And when you get to heaven, are you going to say to God, you know, God, thank you for giving me life, but you know what? I spent it bringing people into your church here at St. Andrews and also I've spent it encouraging those who are feeling down at church so that they could stand firm and, and rebuking those who are proud and arrogant at church so that they too can correct their ways and be with us in heaven. Will that be the things that we present to God on Judgment Day instead of a bunch of shells? And he says, this is the way you should stand firm in the Lord. Last week it was run, run the race, press hard. Don't be like those legalists, die running. This week, it's stand firm, love people, love God, love his word, and don't live for your stomachs. And in this way, following other people's examples, stand firm. Well, we've seen a few things tonight, haven't we? Paul's encouraged them and God's encouraged us to find models to look at, to, to, to follow, and also be models ourselves. We've been shown a picture of two citizens one, a citizen of heaven, and one, a citizen of earth, which just worships their stomach. 
And lastly, we've, been, we've seen a glimpse into how much Paul loves his churchmates and how he wants them to stand together as one for the gospel of Jesus. How should we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? Well, in the past two weeks, don't be like the legalists and don't be like the party goers, but rather be Christians. Amen. Now, a couple of us have also been um, reflecting on this passage during the week, and so uh, Ness and Andrew are going to come up and share their insights with us as well. Mm. So, Ness, you've uh, had quite a bit of time thinking about this passage. What, yeah. what are some thoughts you had? Yeah, this, um, I feel really challenged today. I, I have all week as I've read this passage, but um, hearing how you've um, unpacked that for us today, I feel really challenged. Um, and I'm going to focus my reflections on this idea of being citizens of heaven. I think um, the picture that you had as you were talking about that of the passport is, um, was helpful to me in how I've really been thinking about my citizenship um, in heaven. I think I've really imagined it like my passport being stamped, you know, citizen of heaven, so that on that day of judgment, um, my processing would be very smooth, that it would be, oh yes, no, straight in, you know, her um, citizenship is in heaven. And so... I've really oversimplified, I think, that idea of where my citizenship is and um, really, to be perfectly honest with you, to my shame, that's really allowed me to live like a dual citizen, really a bit like A and B combined. So, yeah, sure of my eternity, which is fantastic, but in my daily living, far too permitted to live as a citizen of the world with my eyes set on earthly things. Um, and so, feeling challenged by that, I have been reflecting on this concept all week, and here are two things that I have come up with that I will continue to reflect on um, post today. Uh, the first is that um, some of you might know, a bunch of us recently went to Israel. I'm going to just say that as often as I can to you. <laughs> um, and we went to many, many cities, old ruins and, um, you know, places that have been dug up. Um, and there, had, there is just evidence everywhere of the Roman world, the Roman colonisation of these cities. Um, when they came to take over a city, um, when they uh, colonised it and made people citizens there, uh, their effect was really comprehensive. So you can see evidence of the Romans in their architecture, you can see evidence of Roman citizenship in the way that they lived, the culture of their days, the political um, presence there, the military presence, it was really comprehensive. And when um, Paul chooses to use this language, he's really trying to say, as a citizen of heaven, we are to influence the city that we're in, in the same way that Rome had done. But not in the negative colonisation way, but in the purest sense where you seek the welfare of the city that you're in. And so in that way, um, it made me think of the Lord's Prayer where we say, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And really, as citizens of heaven, we are to bring heaven here on earth and to influence the city that we're in for the welfare and the blessing of that city. So rather than just a ticket into heaven for me, it's actually a real challenge to seek the welfare of the city and bring the kingdom of love um, where I am. So I felt challenged in that way. And the second thing is to, part of the benefit of being a Roman um, colony and being a citizen of Rome was that in the day of trouble, if, if an enemy came or if there was trouble brewing, you had Rome to call on 
um, all of Rome's resources, all of Rome's sort of power and might and all that came with that and their military power and resources as well. And again, Paul uses that and he goes straight from our citizenship is in heaven um, and he looks to Jesus. We await our saviour, Jesus Christ. And so in the way that they expected Caesar to save them, he's saying, we look to Jesus Christ as our saviour. And so it's knowing it's as a citizen of heaven, it's having a deep assurance of who it is that is our saviour. And, um, and it's not just Jesus, a man that walked on the earth, it's the Lord who um, can bring everything under his control and in his power transform our bodies so that they won't um, see destruction but instead will be raised to life for eternity. So I, I don't know how to conclude that thought for you except to say that that should change my daily life and I just really want to reflect on that more and more post today and feel really transformed by that, knowing that my saviour, um, the one that I can turn to as a citizen in, in heaven um, in my day of trouble is the one who um, has the power over all things. Yeah. That's what I've been thinking about. Great. Thanks, Ness. Andrew, you've had some thoughts as well. Yeah. <coughs> yes, I had um, thoughts about the similar thoughts about the citizenship issue, but what you <coughs> brought up about being models and and, uh, and so on. It just made me realise what a blessing uh, this community has been to our family. Because <coughs> um, I think that um, um, I'm very much a, a work in progress. Uh, and the best advice is probably to look at what I do and do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's why our kids have turned out so beautifully. <laughs> because they've had the influence of Kath and Craig and, and others of you who've been their Sunday school teachers and all four of them are across there this evening doing various things in the youth fellowship for which I'm profoundly grateful. So I think the Lord speaks to us in many different ways. Um, I can remember being a corporate uh, person and spending many years um, working for one of the world's richest people. You kind of get subtly twisted in your identity becomes aligned with your work and I remember when <coughs> the, the four of them were really misbehaving at one point and and uh, complaining about things uh, not going the way that they expected them to go. And so I just bellowed out from another room, take control or be controlled. <laughs> and then I heard this tiny voice come out. And I wasn't posing a question, I was offering some advice. And the answer came back, be controlled <laughs> by God. <laughs> and I thought... That's Kath's wonderful. <laughs> that's wonderful Sunday school teaching uh, with Mikey, who really knew that Dad didn't know <laughs> the right advice. But, but um, so we've been wonderfully uh, blessed. But I think so. This idea of being a citizen of heaven um, caused all sorts of emotions to run through my mind. Um, one thing, it's extremely um, exciting and uplifting. And miraculous um, because the Bible really it speaks to me about the profoundness of our identity mm. so if you ask somebody who am I can they really answer it and I don't think we can answer it unless we know the Bible because we can only answer that question or truthfully answer that question because we're told that we're made in the image of God that we're all made in the image of God 
and then through um, his incredible grace in sending Jesus um, to die for us so that we might have peace with God. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans that we're adopted as God's dearly loved sons and daughters. And if sons and daughters, then heirs. If heirs, then co-heirs with Christ that we might also share in his glory if we share in his suffering. So that is an incredible status that we already have. Just absolutely incredible. And it, my mind boggles every time I sort of I constantly remind myself of, of that that's who I am. And so as a citizen of heaven, I'm thinking how how should that what should that look like? Mm. And so I'm thinking with my wicked sense of humour, what does a Russian citizen look like? And I'm thinking, oh yeah, puts polonium in tea. Novichok on door handles and shoots down, you know, Malaysian Airlines flight. So, that, yeah. So, so, I mean, and, you know, what is an Australian citizen? You know, you think, well, no longer criminal record required anymore, right? <laughs> we, we don't need one to get here. And then I think, well, you know, what, what is a citizen of heaven? What sort of a, a citizen of heaven look like? And that's really a humbling, a humbling thought because um, uh, uh, we're to reflect the character of God uh, in, in everything we do. And um, so our citizenship is anchored in heaven, but we're exiles here in Roseville. I mean, physically, bodily, we're here in Roseville, and yet in the future, bodily, we'll, uh, we'll be with Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. So, 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 so what should we do tomorrow morning? And so, um, I mean, I think about that all the time. I mean, what 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 should I do? And I think the, um, um, you know, this sense of awaiting. We're not we're not awaiting. We're awaiting our final destination. Uh, you know, the end of history. But but now we're called to action. Um, yeah. Called to action in every part of our life. And I think if I could just read um, one passage from the Old Testament, and I think. Um, Ness was um, um, this was the same exactly the same um, uh, ideas that Jess um, uh, that Ness sorry uh, was um, was talking about and it's just after you know that Nebuchadnezzar had sacked Jerusalem and had taken the um, Jewish nobility and leaders into exile in Babylon and you might think that um, well, were they to kind of regroup and um, hunker down into a holy huddle um, in a kind of a gated community of their own? But um, uh, let me have a look here. I was just—it's this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem and Babylon: build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too might have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So, I mean, we are the new Israel and we're called to be a blessing to all nations. So I think for me, I'm thinking, how do I, how do I cause those to prosper around me? 
how do I cause, how do I help my staff to prosper? How do I help them to um, uh, be better at what they do rather than complaining about or grumbling about what they don't do when they don't do it properly? I'm sort of thinking, how can I, how can I help them to flourish? Um, not, not, you know, um, in, in what they do as much as mm. I can. Um, you know, so I think to me that's that's kind of what a citizen of heaven that's what I think of it but it, it's mm. it's an incredible struggle I mean um, um, uh, because you know um, we're not there yet we're continually being transformed into the image of Jesus uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit and so um, our character or my personality is constantly challenged mm. So, so yeah. I have to think about how I throw off the old nature and take on the new and look to things above rather than look to, to earthly things. Yeah. But, and I think that's really, really difficult. Um, but then I think about what we were taught in Revelation about the 24 elders holding our uh, prayers mm. uh, as bowls of incense, thinking about uh, in the throne room of heaven. Mm. And so I think that's extremely powerful and it... it, it, it so we need to be a people of prayer. We need to be um, um, constantly looking forward. I think Paul talks about, you know, one thing I do, I don't look back. I just mm. look forward, struggling to the goal that's ahead of me. Mm. So I think, I think that's very practical advice. I think when we look sideways or otherwise, where our like-mindedness is not where it should be, mm. we sort of have trivial arguments about what we should, <laughs> who should you know, what people shouldn't do, shouldn't, shouldn't do in church and stuff like that. I mean, so, I mean, all sorts of incredible um, ideas about uh, our identity, my identity, how that should work out um, in every aspect of my life 24-7 um, because it's not, you know, we're just not to behave like, you know, citizen of heaven here. It's, it's really... <laughs> We're only in here an hour a week, right? Mm. And so we're in the rest of the week, you know, however long that is. So we've just got to think about how we might be outposts of God's righteousness here in Roseville or mm. Christ's ambassador wherever we are in uh, helping those around us to prosper and flourish. Mm, so great. Anyway, yeah, that's thank you. That's very helpful. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we have an opportunity to ask these guys some questions, maybe to clarify something they've said or um, how they would play it out. While you're thinking of your questions, um, when you talked about being exiles here in Roseville, and you're right, that passage was the one I had in mind, so thank you for reading that. Um, but actually, what happens when you're sent to be an influencer in the city and the city influences you? Yeah. I guess that's where I feel challenged because actually Roseville's pretty good you know, feeling pretty comfortable. And so um, it's easy to actually let Roseville shape me rather than me shape Roseville. Yeah, how do, how do you... Uh, the um, analogy that's been given to me is it's easier to pull someone down off the chair than to pull them up onto it with you. Yeah. So sometimes it's easier to, to fall, to go with the flow. So what would you say if your passport was the kingdom and not a citizen of heaven? Well, if you read the New Testament, Jesus was about the Father's business and he was about the kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is here. Yeah. So I'm asking the question, what is it for you to be a citizen of the kingdom? 
Well, I th- I th- well for me, it's um, the Holy Spirit lives in me and uh, I do my best to reflect the character of God, to love my neighbour as myself and to, to love God first, to love my family, to reflect that love uh, to those around me. Um, that's personally how I see it. That's a good question. Um, I think we're called to be a royal priesthood and in that sense um, mediating the presence of God for others. So everyone is created by God, um, those who believe in him and not, and they're precious to him. Um, But those of us who have turned to Christ as our saviour and lord, then we are to mediate his presence for others as well and to... Um, help bring them into the presence of God in whatever way that might look. And so that might be um, in friendship or actually in practical, serving practical needs. Um, yeah, but I think, I think there is a real need to remain in that identity. And I think citizenship or, or royalty, um, our temptation to forget whose we are and, um, and our identity... Um, it shouldn't be as hard as it is, but um, it's good to have these conversations. Yeah. I think the other thing that, that we're called, um, or uh, I mean, Jesus had a deep, deep compassion uh, for the lost. I think John described it, his, his emotion as gutted, um, whatever the Greek word for that is, yeah, um, re- reduced to tears. So, I mean, uh, as well as reflecting uh, God's love to those around us, that could happen in many different ways but we should be praying for the lost and we should be trying to bring them into the kingdom as well but I think I mean you know the secular thing watch what they do not what they say I mean so I mean we, we've got to be models um, of, of, of how we of how we behave and and how we live as well as as well as what we say I think people won't listen to you if you don't have a relationship with them and and, and what you tell them is just so out of keeping with you know, with your, with your own actions. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so far, nobody's mentioned the last verse, which I think is one of the most stunning verses in the New Testament, which is this vast eschatological conclusion that the resurrection of Christ will subordinate the cosmos to himself. I think that verse casts a lot of light on some of the questions. So I'm just interested in any thoughts you might have about that. Our verse 21 casts a light on the citizenship, the obligations, and how we live. Yeah, so can you just um, expand? Do you mean um, what it means for us as we live today, heading towards the new creation? Well, uh, Paul clearly mm. climaxes his argument mm. and his whole thinking around not Jesus' resurrection for himself but the power unleashed in that resurrection, which he says, by that power he will subject all things to himself. So I think the picture is the resurrection, uh, the the hope is that the resurrection will uh, radiate throughout the entire cosmic order. And that's what he sees as the end game. Mm. And I think the citizenship idea is very connected to that. Um, and it's almost as if that is like a huge sun shining in whose light we now live today whilst it is yet, you know, we're in between the resurrection, the specific resurrection of Jesus and the cosmic resurrection. And I think, 
Yet to me, I think that casts a lot of light on some of the inquiry we've had and discussions on how we live in the world. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Sorry, this is probably a bit basic, but my daughter asked me and it was kind of hard to answer. <laughs> so if someone really believes in Christ, mm. they genuinely believe that, yes. but they're being what you've now called today the libertarians, the bad Christians, yes. are they <clears throat> going to help? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Okay. Uh, we know for a fact... <laughs> yeah, that, we know for a fact that... Um, if you really are a Christian, there is no way you can actually walk away from God. And parts of John, it tells us that not only does the Father have a grip on you, the Son has a grip on you, the Holy Spirit has a grip on you. And if, even if you wanted to, the picture is almost, even if you want to fall away, it's impossible because God loves you, you're a part of his plan. But passages like this and passages in Hebrew are actually saying to you, look, you've got you to really question what your identity is. And these guys are actually guys who are not Christians, who don't worship God as God. Their stomach is actually their God. And so one good test of this is when, you, when they, these people sin, when they just, and we all do it, right? So when they sin, are, are we remorseful for it? It might not be straight away. It might be the day later or a week later. But do we actually feel, oh, gee, Lord, I really failed you. I want to I fix it for next time. Or are we just sort of happy to do it again and again and again? And if we're just happy, if it's a haughty kind of sin, it's like a I don't care about Jesus kind of thing, then it doesn't sound like we're Christians. I mean, Christians fail all the time. But we want to make things right with God. We want to make things better the next time. So I guess if there's a long period of just continual sin and just a cold heart towards God, um, you probably aren't a Christian. But if it is, you just keep failing, you keep trying, you keep failing again, then, yeah, you're a Christian, and there's grace for that. 